Here we go. We're back today and joined by Danielle Dame, a sugar freedom coach and speaker that helps people bust through sugar addiction so they can fully step into their power and regain control of their lives. Now, if you're just popping in now, I encourage you to hit pause, go listen to the last episode of Golden Girls Podcast, which is episode 54, for part one of this topic. This was so juicy, and I had a lot of great questions for Danielle that we just had to split it into two episodes, but trust me, it is worth your time. If you are a driven, ambitious woman or human, if you've ever struggled with food cravings, food addiction, binge eating, weight, digestive issues, body pain, low energy, headaches, hormonal imbalances, or anything like that, this episode is for you. Now, my hand is up in the air. I am a self-described foodie. I love trying new food, good food. I am all about it. But in the last few months, I've realized that I absolutely have some unhealthy aspects to my relationship with food. I know I'm not alone in this, and if you are listening and can relate, neither are you. Honestly, maybe you're listening to this and you're not even aware that you have a broken relationship with food. I mean, I have been learning about myself and personal growth and leadership for literally decades, and I just figured this out. So it's okay. We're on this journey together. I wanted to share a few concrete examples of where my relationship with food is not a simple one, where it's not focused on health and nourishment and supportiveness like it probably, like it should be, like I want it to be. So let me share a couple examples in case you're sitting here being like, well, I don't really know if I have a complicated relationship. No, I think I'm good. Here's some things that I didn't even realize. And you know what? If I record this in a year or in 10 years, it's probably gonna be so many more. But here's some of the things that I started to pick up on. One thing is that I start to say, I say yes to food that someone offers to me and I eat it just to be nice or to make others happy. It is that recovering people pleaser in me that still pops up in pretty much every aspect of my life, if I'm being honest. Another thing I've noticed is sometimes drinking alcohol to relax or to fit in or to be less socially awkward. I will say this. COVID has really made me aware of that and helped me to heal that a little bit, ironically. Um, so just being being able to be more conscious about alcohol and if I choose to drink it, drinking it because I want it, not because I feel like I need it or I am giving into some sort of social pressure or like I'm not chill or interesting enough just as I am. A couple other things I've noticed myself eating I noticed myself, you know, going to the fridge and checking in and being like, okay, why am I eating? What is going on? And some of the emotions have been boredom, not not hunger, but boredom. <laughs> some of them have been, oh, I've had a tough day or feeling tired or um, I had to do this thing. So I use it as a reward or a treat. I also noticed myself eating for comfort or safety. Uh, really recent example, I just did an overnight sleep test last week. And at the end of the sleep test, they woke me up early. Obviously, it was not the best night of sleep because you're all hooked up to all these gadgets. And I was tired. And I noticed myself, I was a looking on my phone, trying to find a drive through because I was going to get myself like a greasy egg and bacon uh, breakfast sandwich. And I stopped myself because I realized that my desire was not for food. I wasn't actually hungry. I didn't need to be nourished. It was that I wanted to kind of reward myself for doing this overnight sleep test, but also for comfort and rest because I just spent this whole night in pretty much a lab. So I knew this. I recognized this. I avoided the drive-thru. I went home and I napped later that day. I got to tell you this, I am sharing this not to say that I am perfect in any of these. (laughs) I don't have it all figured out. But these are some examples where I've noticed there's probably, uh, for every one, there's probably five or ten that I I haven't noticed. Uh, But these are little little tweaks that I'm making and realizing where am I eating for comfort or for boredom or (laughs) where am I just trying to relax 
instead of actually eating to support my body and nourish myself. I'm going to share one last little thing here that I've also noticed, and it is that I have this, I want to say irrational, or at least in my head, I don't know where this came from, but I have this fear, uh, this scarcity that there will be no food. And so I will overeat sometimes before going somewhere. I'm like, uh, it's like I don't know where my next meal is coming from. So I, and this is even at home sometimes, not even that we're, you know, traveling or we're on a plane somewhere and I really don't know when my, when they're going to feed me next, but I will overeat or I'll overpack food. And I even did this going to my sleep test at the end of it or before I went, I was like, I need to bring all this food. This is an example of where fear and scarcity are overruling what my body actually needs. There we go. I feel like I just blurted out my my whole diary, but there you guys go. So maybe some of those (laughs) examples, maybe some of those resonate with you, or maybe you've got different stories or experiences to heal. I am definitely new on this journey of healing my relationship with food, but today's guest is not. Danielle shares a ton of wisdom and suggestions to help you heal your relationship with food and beyond. So make sure if you haven't already, I got to say this, go listen to the last episode. It's real good. And today we're continuing on and you are going to hear how other cultures around the world view food and what we can take away from them to improve our health here and here, I say, wherever you are, because we can all learn from each other. You're also going to hear the impact stress has on our relationship with food and how that impacts our health and not in the ways you would normally hear stress talked about. You're also going to hear scientifically what happens when you eat when you're stressed. And I found this incredibly eye-opening and something I am just starting to lean into and it's so good. I'm so excited for you to hear it. Uh, All right. We also talk about and share how you can be at peace with food and most of all, with, with yourself. That's the real truth bomb here. And I know it's juicy. I don't want to give it all away. You got to listen. Okay. You're also going to learn some great tips for advocating for your own health in a system that doesn't typically look at the whole person and honestly just isn't set up for the type of support and nourishment that most of us need and deserve to truly be healthy and thrive. You're going to hear phrases you can use if you are experiencing any food shame or societal pressure to eat or not eat something so that you can stay true to you and to your body. You're also going to hear Danielle's advice for staying balanced. You know, the important question of how do you live life and drink the wine? Please tell me I'm not the only one that wants to know this. Danielle shares what this actually looks like and how you can integrate it into your life. So listen up. Things are continuing to stay juicy. And most of all, they're also applicable to your life and your relationship with food. Listen up. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Golden Girls Podcast where we believe you can have it all. I'm your host, Lisa Michaud, and I'm spilling tangible tips, goal-getting strategies, and real-life stories to inspire you to tackle your biggest dreams. You're a woman who knows you're made for more. Get ready to leave the excuses and self-doubt behind by being vulnerable, sharing your truth, and having honest conversations so you can succeed on your terms. Together, we'll set goals you'll actually achieve by staying motivated, having fun, and building a community of women empowering women. It's time to tap into your best self, get confident, and truly have it all. Golden Girl, let's dive in. Hello, Golden Girls, and welcome to part two of our special episode with Danielle Dame, Sugar Freedom Coach and Speaker. Welcome back. Well, thanks for having me again. This is incredible. I can't wait to obviously continue this really juicy conversation that we started in part one. Yes. If you haven't already listened, go back and listen to the last episode. Um, Danielle and I, oh my gosh, you dropped so many good things. We talked about 
the biggest thing that I really took away was complicated relationships with food. And even that so many of us, myself included, may not even realize we have them and why some of those complicated relationships are started from, from childhood, how they tie to, to money and social shame and so many good things. Um, and then also talked about how to start healing that and how to, how to make those shifts. Um, we also talked about how we can start to take on, take ownership of our well-being instead of outsourcing it and how we can relearn to listen to our bodies. And instead of thinking about what's good or what's bad, think about what's nourishing and not nourishing or supportive and or unsupportive for us. So we're going to, so make sure, don't forget, go listen to that episode first, because we're going to continue on here in, in this conversation. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is a little bit of, we touched on it a little bit in the, the last episode about different cultures. And, you know, you and I were in Canada, we have a good understanding of North American culture, but we've also traveled to a lot of, a lot of countries. I know you're a big traveler, Danielle. I'm a big traveler. Um, other cultures don't seem to have this, you know, French, Italian, they don't have the same kind of issues with food. And I know they also don't even have the, some of the same like massive health problems. You know, they don't have, they eat a lot of pizza or pasta or really rich foods and don't have, seem to have the same levels of obesity or diabetes or other heart conditions, other problems. Um, so it's not even just that the relationships with food are different, but literally the outcomes of the food are different, of the things that they eat are different. And they don't seem to have this broken relationship and they're eating pizza and pasta and drinking the wine and the cheese and the baguette. So like, what the heck is actually happening here? Um, what, what, what is going on and why can't we do this? Oh my gosh. I'm laughing. Cause it's like, yes, we all, I'm thinking of Italy. We're obviously both on the same page here, right? Like let's all move to Italy. Um, and it's actually an example I use a lot, you know, when, um, you know, I talk about slowing down. And as you're talking there, Lisa, like the thread that brings everything that you just talked about together is stress. I was actually having a, um, I, I was on an interview actually earlier this week and she was talking about her relationship with sugar and, and how when she went to Italy, she actually repaired her relationship with sugar, but she was eating pasta. She was eating all these things and she, her, her hormonal cycle reset and all these amazing things reset. I said, well, what, what, what's your take on that? Cause you were eating just as much sugar, if not more. And she said it was because of stress. Well, that and sleep, but it was because she was on vacation. It's because she calmed down. And I think that's a really, really big factor that ties into both of these pieces uh, with other cultures. Um, Italy is the best example I can think of off the top of my head, right? Like they have such a beautiful, loving relationship with food. And, you know, it's all about, it's that energy, right? It's like homemade pasta, right? This homemade, they love to eat. They'll spend hours eating and then they relax in the afternoon and they spend time digesting, right? They're not, I mean, I'm, I'm generalizing, right? And any Italians listening, like, please know it's been years since I've actually visited, but I have been there a couple of times. And, you know, just that, that relaxation is built into their culture and, and the priority of eating and taking time to eat and slowly eating with friends and with family is, is just a part of the culture that we don't have. So I think like it's that, that conversation about, and we can go deep into this or not too, but about when we're eating in a stress state, we're, we're inhibiting our digestion, right? So when, we and our culture here in North America, we're always stressed. Like we're chronically stressed. We're running around. We've got all these balls in the air. We've got so many things on our to-do list. Eating is just an annoying thing we have to do in the day. We rush through it. We don't actually, like it's not built into our culture as an important part of our day, nor is slowing down, right? We're taught that 
that the more you get done in a day, the more value valuable you are, the more lovable you are, the more a part of society you'll get to be. I've really, really struggled with this. It's been a big piece of my learning is like, how can I find my worth even on days when I just sit around and do nothing, right? Even on days where I get nothing done or I had this checklist of things and nothing got done on it. Like, how can I still know that I am a valued human being being on this planet? Because I am, and we all are, right? Whether or not, but we, we tie so much of it to what we do. So Coming back to this, right, about peace with food, I mean, they obviously have it built into their culture in many different countries where um, they, they love food and it's this relationship with food and the quality of food is a bit better. I mean, it used to be, I'm sure, you know, our North American ways and science, quote unquote, science is slipping in into their food products as well. Um, but they still do have that, that, that relaxed state, which I think is worth speaking about and something that we're really, really missing here and slowing down even when we eat and after we eat you know and really when we start talking about being at peace with food outside of these cultural pieces it's really important to start looking at how we can be at peace with ourselves first because our relationship with food is just a byproduct of our relationship with ourselves I want to say that again because it's a really big piece is that our relationship and patterns around food around with other people with our work has everything to do with our relationship with ourselves. So it all starts from within. All these patterns are, you know, poor habits or unhealthy things and relationships. And, you know, maybe you're stuck in a pattern of unhealthy relationships. You know, we can all relate to that. Start from your relationship with yourself. So when we talk about making peace with food, we have to first find a way to make peace with ourselves. And I know we're going to talk a bit about love later, which we'll definitely dive more into this, but even just asking yourself that question, you know, how can I bring peace, you know, into my day today? You know, how can I be more at peace with myself today? More understanding of myself, right? And understanding that I'm doing the best I can. We all are, right? And we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to have failures, which thanks to you, Lisa, I now love my failures. <laughs> you helped me have that, that big shift. Um, you know, we're all on this wild, crazy life ride, right? And um, as we talked about in episode one, which, right, you've, you've gone back and listened to by now, um, you know, it really does, you know, warrant understanding the societal pressures that have come onto this, right? And, and how, you know, the diet industry has wants us to not be at peace. They want us to be angry and confused so they can swoop in with the beautiful answer, right? Buy this shake, buy this program, we'll solve all your problems. So that piece really does have to start with yourself first. And that's where the really deep work comes in. And, and obviously, you know, I can't answer that for you. I know you're like, how do we do that? Um, it's a journey for, for all of us, right? And it's going to be very different for me and for you, Lisa, and for everyone listening. It's going to be, um, you know, your own path to really understanding and loving yourself and slowing down. I think this is the biggest piece, really getting to know yourself um, you know, a lot of us have never, never done that. We've never dated ourselves. We've never gotten to know ourselves and really understanding who we are at our core, um, you know, building in loving routines. And maybe if, you know, if you have spiritual practices, that's been a big piece of my journey. So just asking that question as, as a place to start, you know, how can I, how can I bring more peace within myself today, right? Every morning waking up and just even asking that, like, what's the one thing I can do to be at peace today? Maybe it's having a slow, leisurely breakfast, or maybe it's going for a walk on your lunch break at work, or going to bed early, right? Or, or some of these sort of uh, loving activities. It doesn't have to be big, fancy things. It's just the little things that do add up over time. So when we can start to do that, 
And then obviously the next step is just to move to Italy, right? So we all move to Italy <laughs> and then we can drink the wine and the pizza and just be relaxed. Um, not to say all Italians are relaxed. I know that's a generalization, but they have that built into their culture where it's just a different relationship with food, right? And we see it in the movies. You can see like how they take their time and, um, you know, slowly digest instead of speed eating and mindless eating, which is what most of us do here. I catch myself still doing that, um, you know, eating in front of the TV, eating, you know, these, these places where we're really disconnected and our digestive system doesn't work optimally. So when we can optimize our digestion through like the way we eat and how we eat and our, our stress levels around when we eat, um, you know, the things that we eat actually get digested as opposed to causing problems like for most of us, you know, with pizza and gelato and baguettes and all the things that, that we want to eat in Italy, right? Oh my gosh. I am so glad you talked about the stress and relax piece. I got curious as you were talking, I'll be honest. And I was like, okay, how many people and how many articles are out there about the, you know, the question of like, how can I be more productive in my day versus how can I have more peace in my day? Because I'm like, because I definitely will be the first person to say, I don't ask myself that question nearly as often as I would ask myself, how can I be more productive today? So I think, you know, even if I'm the only one, which I don't think I am based on Google, uh, <laughs> but it, interestingly enough, it looks like there are a lot of, I'm not saying go to Google and figure this out on Google, because we're talking about insourcing it as opposed to outsourcing it on this one. Um, but I just found that really interesting that um, that's probably something that I feel like we're much more likely to... Google is how to be more productive or to think about how can I get more done today versus how can I have more peace in my day? And that's such a, such a good shift, such, so powerful. My family is part Italian. So a lot of the things that you spoke to, I, I can just really resonate with, and I'll share just two things. Number one, meals with my Italian family are, and Croatian, I have Italian and Croatian. Um, they're long and slow. And I, I love it. My, it drives my husband Troy nuts. He's like, he's like, and he's like, my back hurts. I can't even sit for this long. Like, why are we still here? But I really love it. I do think that it is an absolute cultural difference. You know, he is very, he's Canadian, North American. He's, uh, his personality is, is what that is. Um, and, yeah, whereas for me, I'm used to those slow, long, slower dinners and I can totally, you know, it's like two or three hours and everybody's just chilling, relaxing. And, um, and I remember I, we've spent several months throughout my life, many trips to, to Europe. And I almost never can remember, actually, I'll go on a limb here and really say, I've never remembered somebody saying, oh, I got to cut this meal short, or even like, I have to cut tonight short because I've got to go to work tomorrow. Like nothing like that. It's just like enjoying life and living life. So I think that's a really interesting piece, um, that I do try and bring into our house. Although apparently we need comfier chairs. I think that's the, I think that's the thing. And yeah. maybe I'll get Troy to listen to this Put episode. Him on the couch. Put him on the couch. Put him on the couch. <laughs> Lisa, I'm curious. What's the longest meal you've ever had? Oh, or been a part of. I guess you're not eating for that whole time. Probably. Yeah. You know, you're, that's the thing, right? It's like you have the opportunity to sit. There's usually many courses. You're digesting in between. You're getting up and taking pictures. You're like moving to different <laughs> parts of the table. You're taking in the view. Like I would say easily three to four hours. Easy. Yeah. yeah. And I, and it wasn't just like one dinner that would have been that long. Like it's, I would say the average dinner is probably two and a half to two, two hours ish or so. Yeah. Two to three, definitely on average. And some of them three to four. Yeah. And even just like a continuation of like eating all day, but not in the way that we do it here. Not in the way of like, I must be eating all day. I know I've caught myself in this. It's like, I, I don't know what I'm going to eat next. Or like, uh, I'm afraid I'm not going to have food, which is such a 
obviously I'm, you should see, we also have a, a pantry um, and, and we have an abundance of restaurants and grocery stores right around us, but like that, that mentality, but it's a different thing. It's like more of like, a, I'm enjoying this. I can savor all day. I don't have to restrict myself to only these times to eat, but also it's not a scarcity side. So yeah. The other thing that I found really interesting about what you said too, which I just want to like, I feel like I'm like giving you the Italian street cred here, borrowing yeah, it from my yeah. cousins. Awesome. Um, but one of the things I remember, and this is going to sound terrible to say, but I got to just say it out loud. So my, I remember my cousin saying when he came here, he was, he came for a visit and I was like, oh, like let's, let's find somewhere to go out for dinner or whatever. And he was going to visit my parents and he was like, no, I'm just so excited for like home cooked meals because home cooked meals are the best. And I remember he said that I was like, eh, clearly you haven't eaten my food or like that's, and I just was like, that is so backwards. I'm like, no, home cooked meals are not the best. Like that's just, to me, feels like a fact. Feels like home cooked meals are not the best. They don't taste the best. They're, I no. But when you just shared what you shared about like the love of the food and the appreciation for the food and that connection with it, that was the thought that came into my head was that that was not something he said to be nice about anybody's cooking. That was not something he said um, to get out of eating at a restaurant or like, it was just such beautiful, pure, clean energy for him to say the home cooked meals are, the, are always the best. I'm really looking for, forward to a home cooked meal. Whereas if I said that, it would be a weird cliche that I wouldn't really believe. So anyways, I just- I love that. I obviously that's, got some work to do there. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing, Lisa. Thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of people can really relate with that. And it just, it comes down to your beliefs, right? And you're also perpetuating your beliefs. Like say every time you get in the kitchen, you're not really happy with the outcome or how it works out, right? Because the energy you went in with was probably a little bit toxic, right? And now the food kind of sucks or you didn't enjoy the process, right? So you continue to prove to yourself that home-cooked meals are not the best, right? Food out at a restaurant is better. Right. And that is like perpetuating that belief system for you. And whereas me, like I'll share my side of it. Right. I hate going out to restaurants because I cook better food. I go out and I'm like, why would I pay for this when at home I can make it better? Because I like love cooking and I bring that energy into the kitchen and I know how to combine things and I know what I like. Right. So I have a hard time going out to restaurants. I do it just for the social aspect now. And sometimes it's nice to get a night off from cooking. Like those are why I go for a restaurant, but not because of the food quality. And I often, I'm also, I'm often let down when I go to a restaurant because I have found a way to obviously through practice and my, but my own relationship and energy around food. And you can ask any of my, my best girlfriends, they just like love coming over here. They're like, Danny, are you going to cook us something to eat? And whenever they come over, they're like, oh my God, this is the best food ever. Like they just, they can feel the love and we, we can really bring that into our food. And it does make a huge difference. Like who and how is making your food, uh, which applies at restaurants as well, right? If you have chefs that are angry and upset and like hate the food, you're going to be able to taste that in, in, in your food. I mean, it's all energy transparent. So um, if anybody is so lucky to come over to my house for dinner, I will show you what love and food tastes like. And Lisa, we will change that belief for you. Home cooked meals are the best. Well, I'm coming over. Look out. Here I come. That sounds amazing. Okay. Switching gears here a little bit. You know, I love all those tips that you shared about being at peace now. And that, those are things that we can kind of do every day, but let's talk about this in terms of the medical system, because there are times where we do need to see a doctor, get blood tests. Like, and, and let me also say this um, before I, I, I say this question. I think I've said this before on the podcast, but I want to put, make it really clear. There are a lot of things in our Western medical system that I do think are really valid and helpful and powerful, and it has a place and a role. Um, and so, you know, if you're a doctor, a nurse, if you're in our healthcare system, this is not 
a personal attack on you or on, on even like pharmaceuticals. This is not a, like a carte blanche attack on our pharmaceutical, our medication, anything like that. So I just want to put that out there that I do think there's a lot of really valid things. There's a lot of advances that have come as a result of Western medicine and what we've been able to, to do. So I want to honor that and say that that's important. And let me say like, if we have a broken leg, if like, you know, my daughter had eye surgery earlier this year, um, I, I've had laser eye surgery. Like those are the things that I'm so freaking grateful to our medical system for. And I stand for the end. I do believe that there's also room for improvement as with everything else. So um, I do think our medical system is not great at looking like that. The whole life perspective, I think it's not necessarily great. At, I think it looks for, as you mentioned there, Danny, so, so well, band-aids instead of actual solutions or root causes. Um, and even consent, like consent is something that I'm kind of learning more about. I see you reacting to that. So I'm curious for you to speak a little bit more to, on that. Well, I guess, what are some of the, is there anything else you want to add to that? And what tips do you have for navigating a healthcare system as we do that may not necessarily value or validate our own wisdom and, and like how we can stand in our truth when the person who is quote the authority or the, the quote expert um, may not value that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So many things. So if I forget to touch on some of those, you're going to have to come back and remind yeah. me. Okay. Let me remind. So first thing, like anything else you want to say about the medical, like anything else okay, you think that makes it hard it. for people to advocate. <laughs> Yeah. And I think, thank you for sharing your bits, Lisa. I totally uh, echo back what, what you are saying, right? Our, our traditional medical system has a place. Um, and absolutely, anybody listening who works in that, like, thank you for all that you do. But it's also really important to understand that the system is broken. The system is totally broken when it comes to actually healing. Uh, we live in like a disease band-aid system with our medical system. It's not actually disease prevention. So the first thing that all of us can do is understand that what we eat, our stress levels, how much we hydrate, like moving our body, the things that we, you know, do to simply stay healthy are going to be the best things for you to do to stay in your power and advocate because sleep, you know, yeah. And sleep, obviously. Yeah. We don't want to get to the place where like, actually my mom's gearing up for heart surgery and I'm so thankful for the surgeons that know how to do that. But I know that it was her poor food choices and lifestyle that got her to that place with her heart. So, you know, we can, we do need to, to like, again, this is like the conversation we had in our first episode, um, really standing in our owning our part in our health journey and not outsourcing. Like I think a lot of people do get stuck in, well, I can just eat like junk and not look after myself. I'll just get surgery later. My doctor will fix, fix me. I'm using air quotes for those who can't see me. Um, you know, like we kind of put that, that, you know, like pass the buck onto like that medical system that when I get so unhealthy, Oh, I'll just, I'll just get radiation therapy. I'll just take pills. I'll just like, there's diabetes medication for that. Right. As opposed to let's not get diabetes in the first place. Let's like not let those diseases develop because we do have so much power with what we eat specifically, but also yeah, our sleep, our stress levels, like other pieces of being, you know, healthy, obviously moving our body. Um, I added that can, to that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No go. Also the normalizing. We talked about that in the first episode, but like pulling that over too, like we normalize that getting older means that we're going to be on medications or pills or that we're going to need to be fixed or going to need like I think there's also that that part of it too that gets quote normalized or like it's been commonized. <laughs> it's very uh, common yes. for people to be on medication and so many people just see it as like a unavoidable part of aging or getting older that 
I love that we're questioning this and I love that we're being able to have this conversation. And I'm very grateful to be able to be learning about this in my thirties. Um, and not that I think whenever you're learning about this is powerful, but I'm, I, I just want to, I'm, I'm grateful to be learning at, at this age. <laughs> I wish I learned before. I'm sure there's people that wish they learned earlier, but it's about learning it now. Yeah. I love that you pulled that out. I was thinking of my mom again, that I had that exact conversation with her. She's like, well, this was bound to happen. I'm getting older. And I'm like, no, it doesn't have to happen because you're getting older, right? Like, I think we all have the power to, that's just a belief, right? Like you can go to cultures like Italy again, where all the 90 year olds are out walking around healthy, like moving their bodies every day, you know, walking out like all of it. Yes. The blue zones. Exactly. So Those of you guys, I can't see. I just pulled out the book, The Blue Zone by Dan Boutnier. I might, might not be saying yes. his name correctly. That's exactly I'll, what I was just thinking about. Yeah. And yeah. The, do you want to share what a blue zone is? Well, the blue zones, yeah, was the, these, these research, I, I might butcher it. You might be able to help, have to fill me in, but these, these, these researchers that looked at uh, the cultures around the world or that specifically like the, the locations around the world that lived the longest, the healthiest. So one of the things that, you know, uh, we get stuck in this trap of, and I want to blow this open for all of you is like, we're living longer, right? We're living great. We're li like more people are living till a hundred, but we are sick with every disease for the last 30 years of our life. So I would, I don't know about you guys, I would much rather die healthy at 70 than have to live 30 extra years immobile, hopped up on medication, not able to travel, like all the things. So we get really stuck. We think we're becoming a healthier culture. We're not, we're actually digressing when it comes to our health. We have more science. We have more, all these things that should be quote unquote, making us healthier as a population. We're not, we're living longer because of special medication and science and, you know, being able to be kept alive longer, but we're not healthy at all. Our health is really degenerating. And most people now are, you know, from the age of 50 onward, really going downhill fast. So when you look at these, these blue zones were essentially the, I forget, is it seven, Lisa? I think it was the seven. You've got the book there. Four. Yeah. So it's oh, Sardinia, okay. Italy. You're right. Okinawa, yep. Japan, Loma Linda, California, which is an interesting yep. one in the U S and yep. the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. So there's a, these, these locations around the world where they found, yeah, people living the longest and the healthiest. And they were trying to study like what's going on there with all those. And there's obviously a bunch of different factors, but one of the fun fact, one of the things that I really learned from that, it really sparked for me was the movement piece. So in all those cultures, they found people just naturally move throughout the day. So like, I'm thinking back again to Italy, it's the people that they would work in the farms. They would be like in their nineties going out to tend the sheep, right. And going and moving throughout the day. It wasn't about like going to the gym for a one hour hit workout and then going home and sitting all day. It was natural movement. So that's something that I personally try to build into my day. I mean, I have a standing desk. I try to have dance parties when I can, I'll go out for walks or, you know, lift heavy things around the house or do some gardening and yard work. Like how can we build in like more natural movement, um, throughout day, right? Take the stairs instead of the elevator, you know, walk somewhere. Like, I know Lisa, you're so good at that biking and walking places instead of driving, you know? So that was a really eye-opening one for me when I first stumbled upon, uh, the blue zones and also understanding that like everybody's diet is different. Like there's no one solution. Like in Italy, they're really high carb diet. And I think like in, I think the one in California, I think they were like vegetarian or vegan, right? So they're not even eating meat. And like, there was a lot of differences in the actual diet. So it's not just one thing. And I think that's a big piece that our society gets backwards. It's like, we look just at movement and what you eat, like exercise and, and nutrition are the only pillars of health. And it's not that simple. There's, we're missing community. We're missing um, stress reduction, like good sleep, you know, fresh air, like, you know, connection to nature and, and slowing down and, 
there's a whole bunch of pieces. It's not that simple, you know, for, for being healthy. So yeah, that's a great book. Thanks for bringing, <laughs> bringing that up. Yeah. Well, you were, you talked about it. I'm like, Oh, I've got that book right here. Yeah. So I'll link to it in the show notes. It's called the blue zone. And I just want to read out this sentence. because I think it kind of nails down what we were talking about here. It's the, the fact that there are remarkable groups of people that manage to um, achieve long lives naturally, enjoying longer lifespans while remaining active and vital well into their 80s, 90s, and 100s. And I think, you know, there's two pieces to it. One part is even just knowing it's possible, which I think a lot of us don't even entertain that idea or know that it's possible. Like you said, it, uh, it was bound to happen or it's inevitable. I'm just getting older. This is what happens when you get older. A lot of those things get, quote, normalized. So I think even just like, flipping that on his head is so powerful. And then the book is really fantastic for sharing some of these other parts that it's not just about your diet, not just about the, is, is cardio going to get me more or is yoga going to get me more or is, um, walking or biking or what is that? Yeah. And then purpose community, so many things. So yeah, it is, it is a really fascinating, a fascinating book. Um, there's also videos online about it, but I'll, I'll link to the show notes and I am glad that we (laughs) totally, we're not planning to talk about that, but I love that that came up. Well, it brings, before you move on, like, you know, I just want to wrap up that piece with like one of the best ways to kind of bust our limiting beliefs and our beliefs is to find the proof, the contrary proof, right? So if you believe like, well, I'm just getting old, I'm just going to be a mobile, I'm going to have to get a walker, I'm going to, my metabolism is going to slow down. Like, you know, some of these things may happen, but look for proof that it's not fact, right? So this is where I was sharing that example. Like in Italy, you can see all these people living healthy to hundred. They're still out tending their sheep. Like they're good. And they're a hundred. They're not hopped up on drugs and pills and like immobile at home. So that's not a fact. That's that right there proves it's not a fact. It's a belief that you have. And our culture has about what it means to age. So uh, we do need to change our beliefs about aging for sure. Yeah. Okay. I want to say one more thing then on that. Cause I think this is a really, this is one that really stuck with me too, um, on the movement piece. So one thing I see if, and this is like how deep this runs in our culture, just because I think it's important to understand a bit more of the context. Because it, sometimes it's really easy to just be like, oh, our culture or society or the things like, and, but sometimes we need to ground that down. Like, but what does that actually look like? Or what's an example of that? And here's one of those. Think about how many people, maybe you've thought this, and I don't mean, I'm not saying this to shame you or guilt you, or maybe your family's done this. And like, I think people do it with good intentions and thinking it's the right thing to do. But there's this, uh, I mean, there's a, literally an entire industry built around um, like people aging and moving homes, moving to a rancher where there's no stairs because they may not be able to use the stairs, people moving to certain communities or certain places before they've gotten old so that they have that home to get old in. And what I found really interesting was learning about a lot of those blue zones. There were still people in their 80s, 90s, 100s living in six-story walk-ups. That's like 12 flights of stairs carrying their groceries up those stairs. And they're still able to do that in their 80s, 90s, and 100s, I believe, because they never stopped doing it. So there's just such an interesting thing. Like I, I, and I'm not, I'm not a doctor. Not that anyone would think that. But I just think that's such an interesting part that sometimes we like, we act, and I, we see this in so many different parts. We're just happen to be talking about stairs and aging in this, and we talk about health, but we do this in so many parts. We cut ourselves out before we've, and say, no, I can't do that. Or we assume we're not going to be able to do something. And so we cut ourselves out before we've even given ourselves the opportunity to do it. And that's such a a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Exactly. Exactly. Self-fulfilling prophecies. I won't be able to do the stairs. So I will live somewhere without stairs. And therefore I lose my ability to do stairs. And well, it's a good thing I lived in the, I live in this rancher now where I can't do the stairs. So it's such a, it's such a circular effect. So I, I just wanted to share that one because that's one that, you know, I, hope that we get to live in the city. And I plan on living in the city long into my eighties and nineties. I guess if I have to walk everywhere, that's great. That's part of the, yeah, hopefully I'll still be biking on the seawall. It'll be great. Yeah. 
absolutely. Yeah. And it does take that that commitment to do that as well, right? Not just to accept that, well, I can't bike anymore or I can't, right? Like my grandpa, I have Danish lineage. He biked, like he had little training wheels on his bike as he got a little shaky as he got older, but he biked right up until he died. Like he had his little bike and he would go down to the store. Like, you know, that was just kind of the way of being. And here we just, we're getting a bit lazy people. And, you know, with, with so much love, like we do need to find ways to, to move more. Uh, yeah. Which is another conversation for sure. But plant that seed for all of you. You can make some small movements in your home and, um, you know, even just lifting things, lift groceries, carry your groceries instead of using the buggy. I don't know. Right. Like use your muscles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was a great tangent. Uh, let's come back to a little bit more around tips for advocating for your health in a system that may, that, that probably also normalizes this aging or normalizes, um, headaches, low energy, not feeling good. And, and frankly, um, minimizes your own lived experience and your own intuition and your own situation. Yeah. How, how do you actually advocate for that? Yes. So, um, you know, I'm sure we've all had that experience, right? When you go to the doctor and you know, something's wrong, but they don't believe you, right? Nope. Nothing's wrong. Your tests are fine. Go home, just rest, come back if it gets worse, right? Like we've all been there. And, you know, I really do want to say like love to the medical system for the point that they have, but here's the limitations that are really important for all of us to understand. These are the limitations of our doctors. It's not their fault. Um, something that really helps me is remembering, um, you know, doctors get into being doctors because they want to help people. These are amazing people wanting to help people, right? Which is a great thing. The system that they go through to be trained as doctors, number one, has zero nutritional information. So we've, they've done a lot of studies on this. You'll see a lot of people uh, going out asking doctors, how much nutrition did you learn in school? And it's always zero. Maybe one course as an elective, uh, depending on what country you're in but they don't learn anything about nutrition. And that's not their fault. It's the system's fault, right? It's like, it's just the way it was built. And secondly, the system's also built in like five minute blocks, right? Like you've only got five minutes with a doctor. You can't go deep with someone in five minutes. Like it's, it's such a, like an actual limitation that they have in order to actually help us at a deeper level, right? Like if you had more time with someone, they'd ask you, you know, hopefully they'd ask you about your stress levels and like, what are you eating? And maybe start inquiring that, but they're, um, they've been learned, they've learned, you know, to ask different questions, right? And also, unfortunately, the system is very, very much in cahoots with the pharmaceutical industry, right? So it, it becomes this system where it's all about, I mean, the doctor has only five minutes to figure out what prescription to give you to make the symptom go away. So they, they literally just don't have the time or the knowledge on whole body healing and, and how to actually get to the root cause of, hey, what's actually causing the headache instead of, you know, giving you this medication. So there's a bunch of limitations on both sides. So please, you know, don't be angry at your doctor, just understand. And I think this is one of the things that we can do is understanding their limitations and taking them off this pedestal that we put them on, you know, because they've got a white coat and they went to school and spent a lot of money for many years on their education doesn't mean they know everything. None of us do, none of us do. I don't, I definitely don't know everything and I never will. Um, so really just acknowledging that, you know, is a big piece of taking our power back being like, this is a tool. These doctors are tools that we can use for information and, you know, getting basic blood tests done. And like, there can be, can be helpful to go and, you know, get a little bit of their knowledge from what they have learned and then take that as a tool 
to then do your own research and hopefully, you know, expand other things. So uh, we have so many, and I know that this is tricky for a lot of people because here in Canada, we have to pay out of pocket. And I'm sure in the States too, for a lot of um, holistic practitioners like myself, I see a naturopathic doctor. I have a functional medical doctor, like people who actually have an hour to spend with me and understand holistic body healing at a deeper level um, and are not actually paid by the pharmaceutical industry to, you know, just push push prescriptions on me. So, um, you know, there are so many other options and modalities for healing. And I think the biggest thing, and, and, you know, if you take nothing else away from these, this two part, you know, recording that we're, we're doing, just please know that your intuition is never wrong. Your intuition is never wrong. So if you know in your heart, in your soul, there's this something in you that says there's something wrong. There's something out of balance. There's something going on in my body. That is truth. That is your truth. Don't let anybody tell you that it's not true. Okay. This is where we give our power away, right? So your doctor says, no, the tests, which by the way, are super limited in what they can actually test. It's not actually a full range of testing. So you go to like a functional medical doctor, they'll do more, like more thorough testing. It's just a, a limitation of our, of our system and just really important to understand, right? So you can take that and, um, you know, say, okay, thank you, doctor. Like, thank you for Thank you for seeing me today. Like, I'm grateful for you. I'm going to go somewhere else, get a second opinion. I'm going to go and actually, like, if I do know there's something wrong, um, try to stay off of Google, please, because you're always going to find the worst case scenario on Google. And Google doesn't know you, right? So find someone if you do need actual medical knowledge, right? And someone who actually knows about uh, whole body healing, please invest in that. Please don't let, you know, having to pay, you know, for that visit hold you back from, really getting the care that you need. Like we talked about in, in episode one, right? It's you either invest in those things now and fix any imbalances or help your body heal what it needs to heal now or pay for it later, big time, you know, as your health deteriorates and as things develop, right? So uh, we talked a lot about in the first episode, our body's always sending us signals. And I do believe this is one of the pathways to disease is that in the beginning, our body sends us signals, right? Whether it's diarrhea or headaches all the time or rashes on our skin, right? And we, we get creams to make it go away. We take Tylenol to make the headache go away and we ignore these symptoms. And over time, what our body does is it has to yell louder. So disease develops and our body has to start screaming louder. And this is so many people get to the point where they have a heart attack or they get cancer or they have a stroke because the warning signs were there, but we've so um, pushed them down and ignored them for so many years. We haven't made the changes and now we're in this state of chronic disease or, um, you know, really debilitating disease, which, you know, I'm assuming we all want to avoid if we can or reverse, which you totally can as well. So I think understanding that about the system, um, you know, just understanding that you do need to step up and take personal responsibility and be your own health advocate. And it's okay to get other opinions. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to, and, and more importantly, I mean, all of this just comes down to knowing that your intuition is never wrong. So really learning to retrust yourself and, and, and commit to your health, right? Commit to, okay, if I have to pay for this visit, I'm going to do it because I'm worth it right? It does come down to this worth, right? This whole, I can't afford it. You know, it's really, I'm not worth it. So trying to flip your beliefs around that and, and know that, you know, um, your health is, if it, if it is a priority for you, right, you are, you're definitely worth it. And, um, you know, making those choices to, to start doing that and having those com more deeper conversations about, you know, what's going on in your body and, and what needs to be, you know, healed from the inside out. So those are a couple things that I think would help. And I don't know, Lisa, I know you've got some experience in this as well. Like, is there anything you want to add to that? 
Yeah. I'm, I'm curious too, if you have any stock phrases, um, cause I'll share a little bit about kind of some of the things that I have experienced and have helped me and curious, Danielle, if you've got any too. So I know I, I shared this in the first episode about, you know, seven years ago when I noticed my body doing some different things and how my doctor was basically like, take some birth control pills and do some sit-ups and you'll be fine. And I was like, no, this is something different. Like I know my body and this is different. And it took a few years of investigating and going down that path, but finding out that it, it, my egg reserve was, was getting lower and that, you know, that I never would have figured that out if I hadn't advocated for myself. Um, and even, even more recently, like trying to figure out why I've been feeling so tired and, and even though my levels are, are okay, still being I've still advocated to be like, no, something still isn't right. Yes, I understand this is right, but like, what else can we do? So I guess some of the things that have helped me, you know, I definitely, I love all the kind of shifts that you said in terms of like one tool, understanding limitations, um, getting second opinions. I think also, honestly, just being really confident in know this, I feel like this is right. And, and also being able to build a relationship with that, with the doctor and trying to get them on the same page. So, I mean, this is like also me being possibly people pleasing, but also just like understanding that there is a certain amount of relationship that if we can actually do this together, it can be more powerful. So with some doctors, like I do need to be able, be a bit more, I have in the past had to be really firm being like, no, what can you do? Or I have had to research or find out different things and come to them and be like, these are the things I think we should try. Can we do this? Um, and I found my, the doctor that I have right now is generally really open. Like if I say to him and I share with him, you know, he's, um, I, here's the thing. I don't think he believes me. I don't, th I don't think that he like knows necessarily <laughs> what to do with me, but he believes me enough to help me down the path and to help figure things out. And that's all that I need from him because I, I'm able to use his knowledge, his tools and combine that with the things that I know and, and the other information that I'm gathering or the other support that I'm getting to put the whole picture together. So he doesn't necessarily need to know the whole picture, but I do. And I can, if I can kind of build that relationship or figure out their personality or like what's the best way to navigate that and like build it as opposed to an adversarial thing to like a, Hey, you may not necessarily know all these things. This is kind of what, what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? And how can we br bring this together and finding, and I know doctors can be very hard to find. I understand that. Um, so you know, sometimes you you have to advocate for yourself or, or pay some somebody else or get a different opinion or go to a different city or do what you need to do. I understand it's not perfect. Um, but I, I, yeah, those are the things that I would say that, and you're spot on every time that I've known something is wrong, I've trusted it. Um, and it's been, it's so far, I haven't, it's not wrong. It's, it's a fact. What's going on for your body is a fact just as much as any other quote fact out there. Um, I'll also say one more thing around consent that has really, that has changed for me. And, um, we had Teresa Lalupavia on episode 49. She is a birth and death doula and celebrant, and she's just an amazing human. One of the things she always talked about consent and I didn't really get it until about last year when I, I did a session with her. I've done a couple one-on-one sessions with her and I was talking to her about a medical experience and what I said to her, and I caught myself as soon as I said it, but I'll see, if, see as I'm sharing this, see if you can pick up on it. I was sharing her with her how I'm such a chicken with needles, how I like, I really don't do well with them. I used to faint and I'm like slowly getting better, but I always, you know, I ask for the special room where I can lay down. I ask, you know, I bring a cup of water or juice for afterwards. I always tell the person I'm a little nervous about this. And I, and I ask, can you please tell me step-by-step step what to expect and what you're doing now? And I actually do that in every medical, any kind of medical appointment, you know, when I was having my daughter, when I was doing, um, when they were hooking me up to different machines, um, when, when I ended up getting the epidural, when I was doing delivery afterwards, like all the things I always just want to know, like, what exactly are you doing? And as I said that I, 
the first time I said it, and actually for the last 25 years of my life, the way that I've been saying it to myself is I'm such a chicken and from such a disempowering place. Like I need this. Like I'm like, I'm almost like I'm a victim or I'm so vulnerable. I need other people to help me and give this to me. And I flipped that around through this idea of like, no, I'm just asking for basic consent and I'm taking control of my own health and saying, this is what I need. And it flipped it to such an empowering thing. And I was just realize like how courageous I was in being able to ask for that in a system that doesn't necessarily give us that or doesn't make that, uh, that that's not the standard, which I, I think it should be. I'm going to go out on the limits and be like, that should be the standard that we tell people what we're doing and why we're doing it and, and what to expect. And, and even like, and some people may not like that, but you have the right then to say that, that you don't like that. Um, but that, that's been a big shift for me is seeing, um, myself needing, consent or needing or needing these things to feel comfortable as my weakness. Whereas instead now I see the power in being able to ask for what I need and being able to receive what I need before those times. So that, that's been a big, big giant shift for me that I hope I can help anybody else that may be guilting themselves, shaming themselves for asking or not asking for the things you want. Remember, that's actually a part of your power. It doesn't make you weaker because you need those. It makes you strong and confident that you can ask for them. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that, Lisa. Um, you know, there's so much power in even just asking why, right? I think this is the biggest thing right now more than ever, right? We need to be asking questions, especially when it comes to our medical system, because unfortunately, not everybody has our best interests at heart, right? There's a whole system, there's a lot of money and politics involved and all the things. And, you know, we do have the right and it is up to us to step into that power and ask, you know, why do I need this drug? Or why do, why are you hooking that up to me, right? Or what, you know, and what is this going to do? What are the risks, right? And a lot of people, unfortunately, uh, you know, I, I know quite a bit about what happens behind the scenes with a lot of this. Unfortunately, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the people who are actually administering things for you, you know, um, don't actually know the answer to what are the risks, right? Because the, the pharmaceutical company that created it actually doesn't advertise those. So there's a lot of questions to be had. And I think one of the most empowering things that any of us can do, especially when it comes to our health, is just being willing to ask questions. And if we don't get an answer, you know, keep asking the question, go to someone else and ask, right? Go to someone else and ask. And, you know, when it comes to, especially when it comes to putting things in our body, whether it's food or pharmaceuticals or whatever, um, anything in, in or on our body. I mean, this goes for like skincare too, guys. Um, you know, really asking those questions, where does this come from? What's it going to do to me? What's, what are the risks? Like what's the downsides, you know, so I can weigh both sides out and then decide based on my intuition and what I know about myself, like what's going to be the best plan of attack for me. So um, I love that you're doing that, Lisa, and you had that mindset. I think, you know, it is a big missing piece. And again, I want to point out like the restrictions here. Could you imagine how much time it would take for a nurse to explain everything to everyone, right? And I get that their time constraints don't allow that, right? They've got to get the procedure done so that the next person can get in and all these things. So, um, you know, but don't let that shy you away from, from asking those questions. And I love that you're doing that, Lisa, and being engaged in that. And just, I need, I need to know what we're doing here. Um, so that I can give consent and we should be giving consent every piece of the way. Right. And uh, we don't, we have a system that's just like, just trust us. Right. Again, giving all your power away. Like we'll take care of you. You don't need to be involved. You, you're just a, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. You haven't gone to medical school, like that kind of energy. Right. And uh, we need to be able to stand up and say, no, but I know my body better than you do. So here's what's going to happen. Yeah. And let's co let's co-collaborate it. It's almost like what we do yeah. with the podcast. You know, you and I, I do this to all of our guests. Like, you know, your material, you know, your story, you know, your methodology, 
I know my audience. And when we bring that together, that's I think when the magic happens. And it, I like that's I guess my hope for the medical system is that it could be like they know their methodology, they know the examples that they've seen or what what their patients have done, and we know ourselves. If we could bring that together, that's where we can actually have, I believe, way better healing, way better results, way better health if it can be that collaborative perspective. Is that that's not too big of an ask, right? That's like that, that can happen. Yeah, can let's make that happen. <laughs> one year goal, Lisa. Is that like a good one year or like a hundred day, day hundred day goal? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Get the planner. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. Oh, that was a that's a bit of a, a beautiful rabbit hole, but I think it's important it's a to big, talk about important rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah, 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 definitely. All right, shifting gears again. Let's talk about. I want to talk about the back a little bit in the relationship with food and, you know, how we connect food with love and different, uh, cause there can be, you know, food with self-love or there can be food with like, um, loving nourishment or like that kind of piece. But there's also like a huge connection when you, and you help me see this, um, how we show love in our culture is so much about food. You know, if you even I think about Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day, it's like chocolate and wine and a meal out is how we show love on Valentine's Day. Um, if we think about grandparents, <laughs> just as an example, um, you know, I, we see so much of how grandparents show love through baking for, for the kids or bringing baked goods or taking kids out for ice cream. Um, and I, I, we're not, I'm not vilifying wine or ice cream or chocolate or baking or any of those things. It's just like, there's such a close connection there. And one of the things that you said to me is that like that actually creates that connection for us as, as children. And then later on in life, that's also how we show love to ourselves. And when you shared this with me, my mind was absolutely blown. I was like, holy crap. Yeah. Like we don't actually learn what self-love is in a, I mean, general, generally speaking, a lot of what we learn about how to show love to ourselves is the way that others show love to us. And others generally have shown us love through food. So yep. mind blown. How do we start to, I don't know if the right word is reverse this, or how do we turn this from the only way to show love into using food as a tool alongside self-love. Mm, yes. Yes. So I love this topic so much, pun intended. Um, this is so important to understand on our awareness around our relationship with food is this love piece, because that is exactly how our culture is set up. Like we, we use food and I'm not even going to say food. I'm going to say sugar because it's always sugar. It, it's always something sugary, you know, 90% of the time. It's sugar that we use to show love. It's ba those baked cookies or Valentine's Day or Christmas, right? It's all about, I mean, don't even get me started on the, you know, commercialism of, of the holidays, right? But, you know, Cadbury sponsors all of those ho holidays, by the way. Um, but really, it, it is this part, like literally from the first, and, and it could go all the way back here for all of us, like the first time we breastfeed from our mother, the sweet, like new breast, breast milk is very high in sugar. Like it's very high Colostrum. in sugar colostrum, right? So that, that comfort, like that first time we feed and get food, we connect food with love, with comfort, with security, with like connection from our mom and like safety as well, right? We make all these connections, like as we're breastfeeding, um, you know, for those who are bottle fed, it was still like that coziness, that cuddle, you know, cuddling, right? That kind of builds those, those emotional connections with, with food. And then we go on to grow up, you know, continuing to be bombarded with, you know, love, the way to show love is with, with sugar, with food, right? 
Um, and a lot of other, we use it for all the emotions, by the way, not just, I mean, love's not an emotion, but, um, there's a bigger conversation for another day, of course. But so just, just understanding this, I think is really eye-opening important and understanding that. And I, I, I only stumbled upon understanding this because I saw this pattern in every single one of my clients. Once we got down into like, why did you have that binge? You know, what was going on for you there? It always came back to this. Well, like not in their words, but I could hear it, you know, in this, like, well, I wanted to to show myself love. Like I wanted to like do something special or comfort myself or, you know, give myself that, that warm, fuzzy feeling, which really is just connecting with love. So we've really misplaced as a culture, how we share love with other people, but also how we show it with ourselves, right? Which could be, you know, similar, but I think the first place for us to start with all this, number one, with everything, awareness, understand where this is showing up in your life. Where are you using food as a tool for sharing love? right? And maybe getting connected with something like this is a tool that I've found, I loved, and I'm sure you've used this too, Lisa, but the love languages, right? Like really starting to maybe understand your love language. Like how, how else do I enjoy, uh, you know, receiving love and, and sharing love? And also how do those around me enjoy that, right? Like it's actually been a really, the love languages book has <laughs> been actually eye-opening in my friendships as well. Because I've gotten clear, oh, okay, your love language is acts of service. And now when I want to show her love, I'm going to come over and like, move heavy boxes for her. Or like I helped her move actually two weeks ago. So like, I know that that's her love language. So I can speak to her in her love language um, instead of, you know, just bringing over cookies all the time. Right. So we can start to open up those conversations, not with ourselves, but with other people in our life. Like, how do you feel most loved? You know, you can ask your husband and your parents and your kids, you know, and if they feel most loved, like for instance, my husband's is quality time, like, great. So whenever I want to share, you know, be loving towards you, we're going to sit down and we're going to have quality time together. Right. So, you know, for some people it might be gifts, right? And you can go out and buy something special for them or whatever, but understanding that about other people in your life and then also understanding that about yourself. So one of the things that I've flipped for myself on, on my self-love journey, you know, is disconnecting using food for love for myself, like showing myself love because it's actually not when we're using sugar and food, it's actually the opposite of a loving activity. We're not nourishing or supporting ourselves in that way, um, in a healthy way, in my opinion. Of course, I'm sure there are kind of nuances to that, but how can we, you know, if you understand and even just right here, right now, asking yourself, how do you feel most loved, right? And making a list. I mean, it can be as simple as brainstorming a list. Like what are some things that make me feel most loved? And I really want to challenge everybody to not make this about other people. I feel loved when my husband brings me flowers. How about I feel loved when I buy myself flowers. So we need to really come from this place, again, breaking any codependency around expecting other people to fill our love cup. That codependency, that's a whole another topic for another day. Um, but understanding that we have to fill our own love cups up from within ourselves. So how can we start doing that, right? And starting to make your own list is a really powerful way of doing that and being careful not to bring other people into that list, you know, being I buy myself flowers or I take the day off for myself or I take myself for a walk, right? Like these things could be really, maybe they make you feel loved or buying a new pair of pants for myself, right? A new, new pair of jeans that I love, right? Uh, maybe those sorts of things are, are, make you feel loved, but just keeping that going and keeping that top of mind, like how do I, how do I feel most loved? And I know we've, we've kind of plugged in a lot of questions to start your day with, so don't get overwhelmed, but this could be one to bring in there as well. It's like, how will I be loving towards myself today? That's been a big piece on my journey to continually um, accept and love myself is, is just checking in. How can I be loving to myself in this moment, uh, you know, in this decision that I need to make or, you know, in this argument that I'm having, you know, how can I be loving in that? So 
really, I think it, it, we, we do need to start switching that patterning in our brain. And it just starts with making that list for yourself. So, you know, whenever you're feeling depleted or you need comfort or love and you need to fill your love cup up, you've got these go-tos that you can go to, you know, um, you know, to, to, to do with yourself, whether it's having a long leisurely bath, going out, buying yourself flowers, you know, big thing for me is treating myself to like, uh, body treatments. Uh, I just went for a reflexology treatment last week. It was so good. It just felt so loving self-massage, giving myself a massage, right? Physical touch is a big one for me. So how can I get that from myself without relying on other people, right? So body treatments, my solo massage, dance, like things that kind of involve my body are, are the most loving for me. So, you know, really, I think starting there and connecting with that and, and being aware that this is going on. And at the same time, obviously connecting with how you can give yourself more love without food, also, you know, it, it, it does take a bit of a stand to say, I'm no longer going to show love with food. So people know that for me, like, I'm not coming over to your house with cookies. Like you're not getting that kind of love from Danny, but oh boy, you're going to get an amazing hug and we're going to spend some quality time together. And I'm going to move your heavy boxes and cook for you and like all these things. So, you know, really just shifting that paradigm and even having those conversations with the people in your life being like, Hey, I noticed that I'm showing you love through cookies and that's not really nourishing. So I want to show you love in other ways. What makes you feel most loved, right? We can start to have those conversations. And I think it really opens up a beautiful dialogue. Oh, so good. Uh, I mean, I hope that everybody listening is has heard the way that you shared that and able to go have some of these conversations with yourself and with those around you because that that's how we're going to start to change this. So love it. Uh, and if you start to have those conversations, please DM us, reach out. We'd love to hear these stories. So cool. Okay. A couple of last questions then that I want to touch on. Um, just to kind of take that one little piece that you said and go one step further. Any other suggestions for stock phrases in when societal pressure is coming in? Because I know this is something you've had to navigate in a lot of different places. For anybody else who might be a recovering people pleaser like me, uh, or maybe this is just new, are there any other kind of phrases or things that you would suggest to say to navigate those that pressure that might come up to, you know, why aren't you eating this or why are you eating this or why aren't you doing that anymore? Whatever that those things that come up. Totally, totally. So um before I get into some of those, and that's a great question, I'll share some. The first thing to um, always remember is that you do have the choice to like, in the situation, and I've done this before, if someone's giving you a box of chocolates as their expression of love to you, and you don't want to hurt their feelings, take the chocolates. When they leave, you can throw them out. Like you, you're allowed to do those things. You're allowed to like accept their love because maybe it's not the right time to have that conversation. And like, you can do that, but understand that that exchange of love is done. It's not in the chocolates. You don't have to eat them to accept the love. You can throw those out or pass them on or whatever you're comfortable with. But um, so you, you can definitely navigate it like that. And often for a lot of people, that's a great beginner spot to start. Just accept the love from the person, accept the cookies, accept the whatever, and but you don't have to eat them, right? You can say, thank you so much. That was so kind of you. I appreciate you showing up, you know, whatever uh, feels authentic to you there. And then you can get rid of them after they're gone. They're not going to know. They're not going to be like, tell me how many cookies you ate and what time and what they tasted like. And like, they're not going to, they're not going to go there. Right. Um, so then it really does become, you know, again, a, an opportunity to stand in our power. So everyone's going to be so different than this. And I do really count myself lucky. I've always had a, like a, a no BS kind of attitude. I, I, I don't like, I'm fine kind of speaking my truth. And I know for a lot of people that can be really difficult to, to really stand up and just be the odd one out as well. Like if everyone else is having birthday cake, 
oh boy, I better have the birthday cake. I was always fine being the odd one out, like, no, I don't want cake, thanks. Um, and, and just brushing that off. But for those of you who maybe, you know, aren't there yet or can't do that, right? Um, using some terms, again, I really encourage you to find what feels right to you in your language. But, um, you know, even just making it about you is the most important thing. Because a lot of times what's going on, and this is obviously a bigger conversation too, is when we take a stand, say against sugar, for example, right? No, I don't, I don't want to eat that cake or that lasagna if it makes me gassy and feel crappy. We can tell people that, right? Again, depending on where you're at, just say, you know what? I've realized lately that sugar makes me feel crazy in the afternoon. So I'm just going to pass on the cake right now. And then I guarantee you'll have other people in the room going, oh yeah, me too. <laughs> I shouldn't have that either, right? So we can just start sharing like how it makes us feel. And that really doesn't invite a lot of questioning. Like, oh, you know what I've been noticing lately when I eat this lasagna, I get real gassy. And trust me, you don't want to be around me when that happens, right? So we can, we can. And no one's going to argue with that one. It. No one's going to argue. No one's going to be like, oh, come on, just have a piece, right? Um, <laughs> But even with the cake, right? It makes me feel tired or it makes me feel like you don't have to talk about your bowel movements, right? It gives like, me a headache or whatever that is. It gives me a is. headache or yeah. gives me, yeah, something that's like an easy thing to, you know, I've noticed lately that it just doesn't feel good. So I'm I'm trying some time without without sugar or without dairy or whatever it is like that you're making that choice for um, and just sharing it from your perspective and being really aware that, um, and again, this is a conversation for another day. Oftentimes when we make really healthy choices for ourselves, it triggers other people's desires and inabilities to do that for themselves. So there's a subconscious triggering that goes on when we take a stand like, nah, you know, I don't want any cake, right? And then you get the people going, oh, just have a piece. Just have a sliver, come on. And you're like, I'm on a 30 day, you know, detox from sugar or whatever, like just have one. Because they subconsciously also wish they were doing better things for their health as well, you know, and this can, uh, you know, they're not aware of this patterning, but we want to unfortunately drag people back down to our level. That's like a societal thing. So just stand your ground and understand that they're, you know, they're doing their best and, and find a way to navigate with your language, what feels right for you to, um, you know, really stand firm and no, it doesn't make me feel good. So not today. Thank you. Right. Or, you know, even if someone's giving you cookies as an act of love, be like, oh, thank you. That's so loving and kind of you. I'm not eating sugar this week, but I will be happy to pass these on. Or would you like to take them home with you? You know, you can kind of just, again, play with different things and different ways of, of speaking that feel right to you. Obviously, my words are going to be my words. So practice this and practice it in the mirror. Like it might feel silly, but practice if you're gearing up to go to your crazy in-laws house for dinner and you know they're going to be pushing all sorts of things on you. Um, you know, practice it, practice it, brainstorm with your husband or a friend, like, Hey, how do I navigate this situation? And also if those come up and you end up just indulging or eating the thing that you didn't want to eat, who cares? Like let yourself off the hook as well. Um, uh, we can't be perfect in all of this, letting go of that perfectionism here. Um, we can prep ourselves and, and, you know, plan ahead a little bit in advance, going to a party or going out for dinner, like what we're going to say or what we're going to do. And if it doesn't pan out that way and we end up indulging or caving in or whatever, then so be it. Like, don't guilt yourself. Don't shame yourself. Use that as a chance to learn, Hey, maybe I didn't say it right. Maybe I need to change the way that I communicate this next time or do something different. Right. So we get to learn in those instances instead of uh, guilting and shaming ourselves. Yeah. I was going to talk or ask you about balance, but I think you just touched on that so well about like releasing the guilt and the shame. Um, it was one of the things I love about you too, is that you still drink wine. You still live life. You still have a lot of fun. Um, and for any rebels out there that didn't go listen to the last episode and are just listening to this one, go listen to that one because 
the, you talked about your kind of two essential rules and I'm not going to say them here because you got to listen to the last episode. So go listen to that. Um, but that, I think those are also key for this like balance piece, which I think is important because it is about living life and also making the right choices. Like both of those things are important. So if you haven't already go listen to that episode, go here, Danny's two rules. Um, okay. I have a question about greens, but I'm actually going to save it for when we go live. So pay attention for my Instagram and Danielle's Instagram. Our links are in the show notes here. We're going to go live and I'm going to ask you a question about eating greens. And because you showed me this meme, I'm just going to like tease this here. Um, you showed me a meme that said eating spinach for the iron is like drinking wine for the hydration. And let me tell you, I've been eating a lot of spinach for the iron and clearly I'm doing something wrong here. So we're going to talk about that and any more of your questions, um, the community questions when we go live. So stay tuned to my Instagram for when the episode comes out, we're going to talk about that and so much more. And Lisa, you're not doing it wrong. You're just doing it ineffectively. Ah, Love it. Thank you. Gotcha. Thank you for that. Love that. Yes. <laughs> so good. See, right wrong. It's, it's, I'm, it's a journey for sure. Okay. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you a couple of Golden Girls lightning round questions. So lightning round, here we go. Uh, what is a goal that you're currently working on? Buying my dream home. <gasps> so exciting. Okay. What's the best lesson you learned in the last year? Oh my goodness. To really um, tune deeper into my intuition let's say, and my inner guidance and also slow down. I think mm. that's a big one for a lot of us slowing down. Like the, the more I slow down, the better I can show up. Mm. That's good. Okay. I don't know how you actually feel about poutine. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I still find it sometimes nourishing. If you were to eat it, and, and I know you mentioned dairy intolerances, but would you go with cheese curds or shredded cheese? Um, man, I know you asked this question on your podcast. I haven't had poutine in so many years. Uh, just because it makes me feel crappy. So, but if I had to, uh, probably shredded. Oh, I like, I'm a shredded cheese girl. I know. I, I was, it's kind of 50 50. Can I pick 50 50? Yeah, sure. Why not? Why not? We make, we make <laughs> our own like rules. Half and half. I would be the one that would ask for half and half. I love it. Yep. Stand yeah. in your power. Get it, girl. Yeah. Um, okay. If you could travel, so this is such a relevant question. If you could travel anywhere in the world right now for food, where would you travel and what would you eat? Oh, for food. Well, Italy comes first to mind because we've just been talking about it and I've always wanted to get back there and just indulge in the energy that they have around food. So I would definitely be eating some like home cooked pizzas and some gelato and, and obviously the wine. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Danielle, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you to learn more about the amazing work that you're doing to, to maybe work with you with, as a coach and in one of your, your offerings? Where can people find out more? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me over on my website, DanielleDame.com, D-A-E-M. It's a weird one. I'm sure you'll link it up. I will um, link also, everything, yes. Perfect. Um, I'm also on Facebook, Danielle Dame Coaching, and on Instagram, Danielle Dame. Those are kind of the best plots. I also have a YouTube channel as well. Um, I do a fun segment every Tuesday on there where I bring the tough love. So if you liked some of this today, you're going to love those tough loves. So you can find me on all those places. Yes, go check it out. Go give Danielle some amazing love. Go follow her wisdom. Um, I knew this was going to be good and it's crazy. We've been talking for almost two hours here, two different episodes, and I still feel like there's so much more we could talk about. Um, but I just want to say thank you so much for shifting the conversation because so much of health is just around like eat this, don't eat that, micros, macros, carbs, 
vegan, what all, all the things. And this just took it. And this is what I love to do with this podcast is what I, I feel like my work is about. There's never really about the thing. It's so much more about our mindset and about our, our hearts and our habits and like how we've grown up and the way that we feel and the triggers and all those things. And I love that you combine that with your nutritional knowledge together. And I know I've had many ahas so far, just chatting with you so many, I've like, you can't see anybody listening, but I've been scrambling down some of these questions. You know, how can I bring more peace into my life? Why am I eating this? How am I feeling? Um, how can I, how, where am I using food to show and to receive love? Such great questions that I know I'm going to sit with and, and keep going. So I know, I know many other people will feel the same way listening to this. Oh, beautiful. This has been such a powerful conversation. I've had a lot of interviews. I've done a lot of talking and Lisa, honestly, this has been the most like in-depth, powerful conversation. I'm so glad we broke it out into two. So really grateful for for everything that you're doing here on the podcast and for everybody listening, I hope that that was really powerful for you. And you got a couple tidbits out of that to, to start implementing and at least just starting to build that awareness in your life. I I'm sure they have. So make sure, um, thank you for being here. I love you. You are amazing. And everyone listening, um, go love on Danielle and stay tuned on our Instagram and probably Facebook. We maybe we'll do both. Um, check that out and let us know if you have any more questions. We'll answer them when the episode goes live greens and so much more good stuff. <laughs> Amazing. There'll be so many questions. I'm Somebody. ready. Let's do it. Yeah. Thank you again. You're amazing. Have a great day. Thank you everyone for listening and for being here and for being open to such a radical conversation about health and food and our relationship with it. Thanks everyone. Okay. The truth is it feels really hard to sum up these two episodes in a way that does it any justice. So let me instead say this. Friend, I hope you have enjoyed this special two-part series on healing your relationship with food. As Danielle says, this is a lifelong journey. Give yourself grace, compassion, and space to do the work, to explore, to slow down, and listen to yourself and to your body. Give yourself some time to get curious and focus on nourishing yourself and supporting your body through food. For myself, as a woman listening, these episodes have given me a lot to start with, and I hope that it does the same for you. As a parent, geez, my daughter's only three, and I know I already have a lot of work to do, and I've already started to shift how I share food with my daughter. This journey is just beginning, but I am all in to support both myself and my daughter, Sonoma, in nourishing, and not always just treating or punishing or rewarding or comforting her or myself with food. If you haven't already, please go give Danielle a follow on Instagram and Facebook and we've got all the link in the show notes here below. If you have any questions or enjoy this episode, please let us know. Take a screenshot, uh, share it on social media and tag us in it. We would love to know. We are also going to be doing a special live on both Instagram and Facebook to answer any last questions you have. So please DM us, let us know any questions, and come check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you, my friends, so much for listening. Most of all, I want to thank you for being open to new ways of thinking about things, about food, about the concept of being in relationship with food, about consent and advocating for yourself in our healthcare system, and about redefining societal constructs and expectations. Most of all, being open to changing the way you think, because that is probably the hardest thing, is to change our minds and be okay with getting it wrong or having been wrong in the past and just trying and exploring anyways. 
you may not realize this, but it's so worth mentioning it because in case, in case you don't know this, you are changing yourself just by listening to these episodes and in turn, you're changing the world. That's no small thing. I want to, I want to say that again, by listening to this, by exposing yourself to new ideas and new thoughts, you are changing the world because when you work on your own growth, on your own own healing, your own transformation from a place of love and compassion and understanding, you can change yourself and you do change yourself. The ripple effect of that, that's a massive. Together, I know and I believe, I really do, that we can create change in everything from our friendships to what it means to go to a restaurant with others and eat whatever we want. I believe that we can change how we give gifts and how we receive gifts how we elevate our healthcare system, all the way we can create changes in how we parent and grandparent and beyond. And most of all, as you and I, as we transform our relationships with ourselves, because that's really what it is, as we learn to stop the freaking people pleasing, come on, I'm there, almost there. (laughs) No, it's a journey. I'm just kidding. Um, But as we go on this journey to stop the people pleasing, stop the perfectionism, stop looking outside of ourselves always for advice, I see this transformation, what we're doing, and I hope, I know you're here with me, that we start to listen to ourselves. We start to listen to our bodies, we start to trust ourselves, and we love ourselves deeply. That is how we change the world. That is how we become better versions of ourselves. That's how we become stronger, healthier, more vibrant, less anxious, happier, more energized people who live life on our terms. And I really do believe that that's how we create a better, when we create a better, more loving place for ourselves, we do it for those around us and for future generations and beyond. It's so powerful. So thank you for listening. It's no small thing that you're here. Thank you for doing your work and all this and doing your part. You are amazing. You are loved. You are worthy. I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. If something spoke to you, send me a message by sharing this episode and tagging me on social media. If you know someone who would love to hear this episode, please share it with them too. Because I love surprises, make sure you subscribe to the Golden Girls podcast today. It's the only way to find out about bonus surprise episodes and make sure you don't miss a single beat on your golden journey. Thanks again for listening and I will talk to you in the next episode of the Golden Girls podcast.